that said, I like my mom. She's nice. She's not like me. She's really nice. She's, she's a little thing. Um, she, you kind of, we call her a pocket mom because you, you can pull her out when you need her and just set her loose, you know. <laughs> and, she's, and, and finding a card for her was a little bit tough. So it was because, ladies, you may not want to listen to this part. Guys get it. You open up a card and there's a whole poem in there. We don't have time for poems. We're looking for a nice picture that says, thanks for everything, cheers. And that's it. And maybe a painting. Uh, and, and that's, but no, there's a poem. And you've got to read the whole poem to see if you agree with the poem. You're supposed to, guys. read Because they're going to read the whole poem and hold this against you later. My mom's too complicated for a poem. She's a real person. Moms are almost like real people. Yes, they have moods. They have sides to them that don't always get mentioned in a Mother's Day card. One of my favorite memories of my mother will never be in a Mother's Day card. The neighborhood bully had decided, had set his sights on me. I don't remember much about the day because I was beaten about half senseless. I was a little guy, about six years old, and from what witnesses say, he was jumping on my stomach. And I remember looking up at him, observing this, as an early scientist, it was interesting. <laughs> and then I watched as his head changed shape. And I realized he's just been hit with a broom. I had never seen my mother move that fast, that violently before, but all of a sudden I decided, you know, from now on, I'm going to make my bed. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... And yet, there's no card out there that says, thank you for whacking the guy with the broom. <laughs> She's complicated. And that's where I want to trans transfer over. We always focus on Jesus here. We're going to focus on Jesus. Jesus is complicated too. We try to paint him like we paint mamas sometimes in this two-dimensional term. You know, to me, mamas are much more interesting if they're real people who sacrificed for us rather than icons who sacrificed. And Jesus is a real person. We try to paint him in one or two-dimensional terms so that we can better deal with him, get him in a controlled environment, describe him, and therefore limit him. But Jesus was a real person too. That's the whole point of Advent. It's the whole point of him showing up down here. He loved us and he loves us even more than our mothers do. But it's complicated. It's very complicated. I know my mother's character. I know her history. But that doesn't mean I can always predict what she's about to say or do. So why is it we think we can always predict or say what God's going to do? I listen to preachers who are quite confident that they know everything God's thinking and what he thinks about everything. And if you don't know what God thinks about everything, just ask them. Because they've probably written a blog on it or an open letter on the internet or posted on Facebook letting you know exactly what God thinks about this or that. However, put God in a box and not only is he going to get out of the box, but he's going to beat you with the box. God does not belong in a box. Read the scripture. If you're reading the scripture, would you have seen the flood coming? 
I don't mean, would you have listened to Noah? I mean, would you have thought that would be God's solution? Or did you see the captivity of Israel coming? Did you see the disappearance of the ten northern tribes disappearing into the midst of history forever? <clears throat> would you have thought about the cross? Would you have seen that coming? How about leaving the kingdom of heaven in the hands of men and women that are, by their own description in Scripture, nothing more than clay pots imperfectly designed for the job we were handed? The only way you can see any of this is in the rearview mirror. There's no way you can see this coming. God is complicated. Listen to it carefully. God is not the God of our expectations. And we've always had trouble dealing with that. It is hard to deal with the God who is when we spend so much of our time with the God we want to be. But that God doesn't exist. The God who is, is. And he comes at us from many different directions. And as much as we love him, and he loves us, it gets complicated. I just, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to step away from the sermon for a second because I see my brother Albert down here. Albert, don't want to put you on the spot. But Bill Wright was not um, exaggerating when he said tens of thousands of prayers, was he? Do you remember what the count is approximately? Isn't it well over 100,000? Yes, prayer cut. More than 175,000 prayer cards. Wow. And, by the way, that doesn't mean 175,000 prayers. The people here pray repeatedly over those cards. So who knows? God does. I don't think there's a... Oh, Pat Patsy knows. <laughs> no, no, he's... Pat Patsy's here today as well. Yes, Patsy. <laughs> Patsy, you have many children here, and we love you. We know that you are Albert's brain. And we, we, we love him, but am I lying, Albert? Uh, no, exactly, exactly. All right, I'll step back over here now. Working with God is complicated, and the impact he has on us is completely, absolutely unpredictable. Now, I don't want to take away anybody's joy here. I really don't. There are people that can go and get books on how to pray this prayer and God will bless you or this is what God thinks about what you're doing and they, they derive comfort from that and who am I to take that away? I will just tell you I can't get any comfort out of those books because I keep thinking who are you to know what God is thinking? Who are you to know what God plans to do? In my life he has been completely unpredictable. None of us take the journey we planned for ourselves. I talked to my children about that this week in separate incidences as we talked about certain things that we've seen in the family, that we're facing in the family and the like, and I've said, remember that none of us take the journey we planned for ourselves. God has a different plan. I saw it again this week. For those of you that aren't in the know, the Faith and Culture Center in Nashville is all about getting the religious groups and competing um, ethnic groups together to find peace. Well, they wanted to bring together leaders in the Christian faith and leaders in the uh, Muslim faith for a 36-day retreat. I heard about it, but I didn't expect to hear any more about it because I don't consider myself a Christian leader, a leader among the churches. 
And I also don't tend to go to retreats because they're very people-y. Uh, and, and you can't run away from a retreat because you've already retreated, that's the point. And the, I tend not to go to these. But my son-in-law, Josh Graves up at Otter Creek, said they've asked you to come. And, I'm, and I actually said, why? You know, get somebody qualified. But they pulled me up. We were sitting in the room. There are eight Christians seven of which, by the way, were from Churches of Christ. They had invited I scores, but Churches of Christ people were the ones who showed up. So let's, little yay us there is good. And then there were seven of the Islamic leaders. It's fascinating. But because people are busy, this preacher had a funeral and had to take off. This one had this at. Next thing I knew, I was in the room and I was the only senior minister left. And they turned their eyes to me and started peppering me with questions. I keep thinking, way to go, God. Uh, how did you, um, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. But can I say something about our church? One of the things, our next steps with all of this, is we want the Muslim community to know what we're like in our churches. And so it was discussed, we need to find a way where a group of Muslims can come and worship, or at least watch a worship on a Sunday morning, and then be taken out afterwards for lunch, and we'll answer their questions. But the problem, and the Muslims talked about it, the fear of being peppered with questions about terrorism and Sharia law and, and stuff that they have nothing to do with, and they're, they're worried. After many discussions and such, they chose Fourth Avenue. Soon, I'm going to let you know, we're going to be hosting them. We're going to bring them in. Yeah. And I kept thinking as I was on the front pew this morning, oh, I wish they'd been here today to hear you sing. You sang beautifully. And they, that's, that's, a, that's a sound that they don't get. And I, I wish that, so tune up. But none of this is what I thought it would happen. None of this is what I expected. But that's what the journey with God is like. We've taken a good look at Jesus. We've looked at 25 of his names. We've got, a, got one more week we're going to go with this, but then we're going to move to the names of God for a bit and then take a, a special series when we hit the fall. We'll talk more about that later. But I want to ask you a question. We've taken a good look at him, but what does he look like? Was he black? Was he white? Was he Asian? Was he in any way what you expected him to be? The Jews expected the Messiah to be this or that, but not this or that. And then Jesus came and upset the apple cart. John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Nobody expected what we got. The zealots expected a warrior leader. And they were in place to help him as soon as he showed up. But the Messiah that showed up didn't need what they had on offer. The Pharisees expected a leader that would establish a strict, pure, ritualistic, legalistic religion. And they were in place ready to help God do it. They're still around on social media. 
But when God showed up, he didn't need them. The Essenes were looking for God to show up to bring moral purity, finally, and withdrew to the desert to await their turn to help the Messiah. When he showed up, he didn't need them. When he arrived, he came from Nazareth of Galilee. And we say that, and we think, well, yeah, it's in the Bible. The people who heard it, though, in the first century would have gasped because Nazareth was the backwoods country bumpkin area of Judea. These people, it was, it was widely known. They can't speak properly. They're uneducable. That means you can't teach them anything for those from Nazareth. You can't teach them anything. They can't learn a foreign language because their accents are so thick. That's one of the, the known things about Nazarenes back in the time of Jesus. And yet, that's where they came from. Peter's accent was so, so thick that years later, as soon as he starts speaking, people say, isn't he from Nazareth? How can he know anything? And that's where Jesus, would you see that coming? Was that how you would have picked? We're going to convert the world. We're going to make the world know that they need to repent and change. And we found a guy to do it. His name's Cletus, and he's from that trailer. <laughs> you and I might look at that and go, I'd, I'd like to look at that business plan again. God does not play in our boxes or with our rules. Jesus has many faces, and it's always a surprise. When Peter steps up in the apostles on the day of Pentecost, what do they say? Aren't these people from Nazareth? And yet they're speaking in our language. How did they learn anything? Years ago, it was back in the 70s, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, put on a mini-series about the life of Jesus. And it caused all kinds of controversy, or pronounced correctly, controversy. Because... Not because of doctrine, not because they got the Bible wrong or the like, but because the actor they used to play Jesus was short, balding, and overweight. And people said, that, no, no, that's disrespectful, that is. Really? Would a short, overweight Jesus offend you? Would a buck tooth one? How about one missing teeth? Most people by the 30s in that day and time would have been missing some teeth. What about a chinless Jesus with a high-pitched twiny voice and post-nasal drip? I'm not really sure what that is, but I just love saying it. <laughs> what about a Jesus that had scars or cross-eyed? Are you offended? Why? The only physical description we have of Jesus may not be a physical one. That's how complicated this is. But it comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and it's not a pleasant one. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Wow. How would you like that to be your description? He was despised 
rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Stop for a minute. Did Jesus have migraines? Was he troubled with tooth pain? Do you have arthritis? Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Not only did he have a thick accent that people couldn't understand and that they looked down on. You know, you can have a thick accent that people like, not this one. And then he doesn't look good and there's nothing in him that, in fact, we tend to hide our faces from guys like this. And that's the one sent. How many times I've heard people say, our churches could, could really grow if only we had, and then they talk about this huge asset, money, special families moving in, a new program, a new minister, whatever it is. God doesn't play by these rules. He takes the least honored among us and uses them. Forgotten now, but in the Middle Ages, before the picture of Jesus that we all get of the white guy with long hair and the, the glowing robe, the surfer guy from Finland that we all see holding the lamb. Um, before that picture really took hold, in the Middle Ages, paintings of Jesus depicted him as a hunchback or as a person with skin disease. One thing is for certain, he didn't look like our paintings. John the Baptist said, in fact, he would not have even known who Jesus was without divine revelation. Look at John chapter 1, verses 30 through 34. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself didn't know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Seeing him in a crowd, you wouldn't have picked him out as, okay, that, that could be the Messiah. John the Baptist had to have a miracle show him it's that guy. Judas had to point him out in a crowd that came to arrest him. The zealots were shocked and scandalized at the Jesus that showed up. He socialized with foreigners, the Gentiles, tax collectors, publicans. One of the Muslim imams talking to me looked at me and he said, why would you come here? And I looked at him and I said, for 300 years, my family have been military, including my son. I would like for my grandsons not to have to be. And I've decided it's easier to meet you over bread than bayonets. It's time we did it Jesus's way. It's time, and by the way, the one that I thought was gonna give me the hardest trouble decided I was his friend. This was a mixed blessing. He, he sat beside me during meals and he's a toucher. Um, <laughs> constantly going and talking this and talking and just like this. And I'm over there going, you know, just all, um, you know, I, I kept wanting to go British, British. Um, <laughs> didn't really work out that way. 
But I had a couple of people that not of us, not one of us, not anybody of us, send me little messages. How can you do that? You need to be doing this. And said, there are always going to be zealots thinking, let's, let's fix bayonets first. No. It's not the way Jesus tends to do things. I love Peter's gospel, but it's known to us as the book of Mark because Mark wrote down Peter's stories. I want you to take a look at the Jesus he sees because we're talking about, remember I said mamas are complicated? Every so often I'll be with, I've only got one surviving sister now, and our memories will be completely different about the same mom. Take a look at Mark's gospel. Luke sees Jesus more like a Prozac Jesus. He never gets upset, ever. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Luke doesn't remember that. He doesn't have that at all. What about Mark chapter 3 and verse 5? He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed. Luke leaves that one out too. You see, when Peter saw Jesus, he saw something Luke did not see. Which one was correct? Seriously, people are complicated. They're both right. How about Mark chapter 10 and verse 14? He, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. The old word for this that, that I think is actually even a better word, aggravated. Mamas, you do not have to nod. You ever get aggravated at your kids? Hey, kids, here's a secret. I know that when you're growing up every now and then you think that you wish you had different parents. Sometimes they wish they had different kids. <laughs> but this is what is. Deal with what is. I even had one time my mother say to me, what would you like for dinner? I was so excited, I told her. She said, that would be great, but this is what we're having. We ate leftovers for 16 years. The original meal was more a legend than a reality. But see, my mom is not an icon. She's a person. To me, that makes her much more interesting. Rather like my wife. My wife is not a two-dimensional cartoon. She's not a mindless servant. Instead, she's vibrant, complete, multi-sided personality, different likes, different reactions. We've been married almost 38 years, and she's still endlessly surprising to me. That's a good thing. Jesus never bores me. You ever been bored at church? You know why? You're worshiping the wrong Jesus. The real Jesus is a fascinating and interesting man. He has such charisma that people would listen to him for three days without food just because they didn't want to miss anything. He's excitable in Scripture. He's impulsively quote, moved to compassion, or, quote, filled with pity. We see sympathy, exuberance, anger, grief, anguish, patience, and yet he doesn't hesitate to ask others for help. Tarry with me a while while I pray. Help here, help there. He praised others at every opportunity, and he attacked them when they were too rigid. I like the C.S. Lewis quote that I asked that we put up. He was not at all like the psychologist's picture of the integrated, balanced, adjusted, happily married, employed, popular citizen. You can't really be well-adjusted to your world if it says you have a devil and ends up by nailing you naked to a stake of wood. 
we tend to make this two-dimensional cartoon and then wonder why our kids are bored. Real Jesus is not boring. I've told you this before, but I'm not a roller coaster guy. I've, my head is, enough, is full of enough amusement park rides that I don't need to go on another. And I've never really felt the need to poke what's in there with a stick. However, I've had children and I've worked with youth. And sometimes you find yourself at an amusement park in charge of a group that say, we'd like to ride that. The Screaming Hall of Terror. And I'll get on. Those of you that don't, this, this, will, this will miss the amusement park people. Those of you that don't like roller coasters, pay attention. You know that feeling you get when the bar goes clunk? You're committed now. You can't get loose. It's not, it's not loose enough to let you loose, but it's not tight enough to give you a feeling of security. I've even looked at the people and said, can I have some packing peanuts or some extra? And you know, Where's the bathroom? And then it takes off. They never wait. Every morning when I wake up, I hear the bar go clunk. I don't know what God's going to do today. I don't know where he's going to end up with putting me. But let's go. It's going to be a ride. I've, you know, Jesus has always been more of than our cartoons. He's the angel of the Lord. He appears to several people in the Old Testament days to a thrown away woman whose husband would not protect her, who feared for the life of her son, to an aging nomad who had immigrated to a strange land and was still searching for his place. He appears before the city of Jerusalem to block the angel of death, saying that's enough. I've devoted my life to letting the world know about this Jesus. Not the cardboard cutout that religion so often portrays, but the real Jesus that has real impact on real people. Not one-dimensional. Don't try to out-Christian Christ. I've had people, whenever you say something which is true and a little bit hard to deal with, say, well, that's not Christian. Yeah, you know, have you, have you looked at Jesus? Anger, indignant, aggravated, making a whip, those little stories, those are in there too. So the question comes, how would Jesus appear to you today? How would he appear to you today? We sing the song, in the rustling grass I hear him pass. For some of you it's that way, it's in nature, it's in birds, the flight of birds. It might be small children and their laughter. It might be songs. Your songs do a lot for me. It might be good and bad experiences. But how does, how does Jesus appear to you? In our staff meeting this last week, we talked about how do you reconnect with God. And I found it fascinating. You know, Gary Schrader is the ultimate extrovert. Um, and he talks about he sees God when he gets off alone in nature. I'm the ultimate introvert. I see him when I bump up against people especially the kids, and I see him there. Where is it? Where is it you see God? Our Messiah, let me just back up. If our Messiah is, as we've declared him today, surprising, emotional, powerful, and exciting, then we should be interesting, powerful, emotional, and exciting beings. We will join with him wherever he goes. When he goes into the homes of our neighbors, into our schools, into our war zones, into Franktown. We'll do it because Jesus did it. Jesus told us if we'd known his father, we would know him. 
If we were as exciting, as real as Jesus, the world would be a different place. Perhaps that's where we made our mistake. We, we painted God as adventurous and awesome and dangerous. And then we painted Jesus as holding a baby lamb when Jesus said, if you see me, you see him. We paint Jesus as controlled, passive, sweet, nice, safe, pleased with boring ritual on a Sunday. Not with a sold out, yippee, I'm jumping off a cliff life. Jesus, the angel of the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God is like his father, just as awesome. He's the one who created the black holes, the red dwarves, the rings of Saturn, and he created you. I take time some days to wonder how he would appear to me. But the bigger question is not that. The bigger question is, how can he use me today? How can he use me today to appear to other people? How can we show this complicated, amazing, surprising Jesus? He never stopped trying to reach us. May we never stop trying to reach others in his name. Would you stand with me, please? And read this with me. Invade us. Use us. Take us to the people you want to see Jesus. And let us shine with his light to them every day in any way you desire. Let our face be one of the faces of Jesus today and every day until it's time to come home. And the whole church says...